You're listening to The Report Card. The Report Card podcast is a commentary show about contemporary American politics and international affairs with your hosts, Scott Dworkin and Grant Stern, where they grade what they're seeing in the news each week. Invite activists, elected officials, and newsmakers to chat and to take your questions, too. You're listening to The Report Card. And I'm your host, Grant Stern. And I'm Scott Dworkin. Grant, that is a killer intro. I love it. Thanks, man. We're we're moving up these days. We're getting fancy because yeah. we have some incredible guests. So I think we have to be a little more prepared. Is I that agree. how this works? I agree. I, okay. I think it is. Uh, and, you know, it's, uh, man, I, it's, it's really interesting how this show is developing and turning more and more into a basic news show and podcast, not just that, but interactive questions. So it's pretty cool to do this in, in real time. And it, it evolved as it has, you know. Absolutely. I'm excited. The show is growing. We love to have this amazing audience and we're welcoming you guys to call in, uh, you know, and ask questions. We've got some incredible guests. Let me tell you who we've got on the show right now. Um, So tonight we're going to start with Amy Fitch Hitchcock. She is part of the Arizonans for Reproductive Freedom campaign, and she's going to tell us what's going on in that pivotal swing state. Uh, Arizona has a lot of direct democracy ballot initiatives. And so I'm excited to find out what's going on. She's working with Alex Kack. Uh, People know him better as the green shirt guy. We're going to have to bring him on soon, uh, but not in front of the green screen. And then we have Allison Gill, the host of Muller She Wrote and the Daily Beans podcast. And Allison is just amazing. I've been on her show so many times. I'm so glad she's going to come on our show. Then we've got the distinguished Norm Eisen. Uh, Not only is he a CNN legal commentator, but he was – uh, counsel to the House Impeachment Committee uh, and an ambassador. He was White House Ethics Counsel. Norm is amazing. He's going to be on the show a little bit later. And then we've got Glenn Kirshner, the former uh, D.C. Uh, dis- uh, U.S. Attorney. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, Assistant U.S. Attorney. Um, Glenn Kirshner, who's an MSNBC commentator, is going to join us live. And followed by Tristan Snell, the very man who sued Donald Trump for the Trump University scam and won. And boy, I was just saying, uh, wouldn't that be a fearsome lawsuit uh, to, to face from the firm of Eisen, Kirshner, and Snell? That'd be terrifying. I, I wouldn't want to face that. I wouldn't want to face those three in a room. That's for sure. I mean, that's that's tough. And you know, we've got some great lawyers next week coming up. I mean, it's just a great slate of people. I'm, I'm honored to have these guests on the show. Yeah, this this is going to be a fantastic, fantastic, fantastic show. Um, you know, normally we'll we'll talk about what's going on in the news, but there's so much going on, and we're going to get into it with our guests. Uh, but I just wanted to react to the most recent news about a member of the House leading tours for people that participated in the January 6th insurrection. The next day, armed and searching for the Speaker of the House. And I'm, of course, talking about Barry Loudermilk. Uh, Scott, what do you give Barry Loudermilk as a grade for the last 18 months when people have been asking him what happened the day before January 6th? Right, and he's been lying about it since day one. T for traitor. Uh, it's it's a major fail on the major level, and uh, it's going to come down as, I, I mean, I'm not sure how bad it is, but he's been hiding out on this. He needs to be expelled and arrested, and that's all I've got to say about that. But T for traitor is my grade. How about you, Grant? 
Uh, yeah, I was going to give him an L for liar, uh, but also for take the L. I mean, literally just yesterday he came out and said that he didn't do this. The Wall Street Journal, I think they're going to have to take the L. Uh, they're going to have to retract uh, that that uh, the editorial that they put out just yesterday saying how awful it was to accuse Rep. Barry Loudermilk of Georgia of doing exactly what he did and lied yeah. about for a year and a half. Have you ever um, faced that before, Grant, where, where we've had somebody who lied about something for years and years, and we were right about it, and we repeated that, and we had our facts, and we had the evidence, we had facts and evidence, and then we had more facts and evidence, then a video comes out, and all of a sudden it breaks loose. I, it just reminds me of, I don't know, hundreds of stories that you've broken in the past. <laughs> yes. Uh, speaking of stories that I've broken in the past, like Steve Bannon, who uh, is potentially still facing We Build the Wall charges. He lost his motion to dismiss today. Uh, do you think that Bannon is going to go down? I mean, his trial's in a month, okay? Uh, he, he refused to participate outright, and he claimed executive privilege, even though uh, he was a Trump advisor for only six months in 2017, and the committee's asking about uh, his activities in 2020 and 2021. Do you think that Bannon's going to make it through? No, I think he's going to – I mean, like – this is this is his end game here. I, I think you were right. It was December 2020. We were focused on everything, and then Grant's like, "Wait a second, I, I have this one thing that I want to show you about the we build the wall folks and this evidence trail that I have." And I was like, "Nobody's gonna pay attention to that." I've said that to Grant thousands of times. Oh before. yeah, that was 2018. Yeah. And uh, so so later on, I mean, you you brought down Steve Bannon, and I think that they've got enough evidence against him now to convict and all he's got to do is flip on the people he probably has evidence on and he gets a sweeter deal i'm sure hmm, we'll see if that happens so i'd like to bring amy fitch heacock uh onto the stage with us uh go ahead and unmute amy uh she is an activist she's an organizer uh she's part of the tucson's women march uh you know amy thank you so much for joining us tonight thank you for having me i'm excited to be with you all so, Amy, can you tell our listeners a little bit about the Arizonans for Reproductive Freedom campaign and how they can get involved and help you guys out? Absolutely. So Arizonans for Reproductive Freedom is a citizen-led coalition in Arizona. Our members are abortion stakeholders, um, including healthcare providers and patient and reproductive advocates and concerned residents. And we have filed a voter initiative, which would allow Arizona voters to decide this November whether or not we want to enshrine abortion rights into our Arizona state constitution. Uh, we are doing this via constitutional amendment as opposed to a statutory initiative, which is requiring us to gather uh, substantially more signatures. In fact, we need 350,000 verified signatures by July 7th in order to get this on the ballot. Um, but we chose to do that because here in Arizona, we are famous for being gerrymandered. And uh, it's an uphill battle whenever we are trying to pass direct democracy initiatives without facing that legislative sabotage. Um, the best way for people to get involved right now is to uh, visit our website, azreproductivefreedom.com, read our initiative, read about who we are, and if you're in Arizona, 
find us, sign our petition. If you're not, donate to our cause and uh, get the word out. Help us to gather as many volunteers uh, as far reaching as we possibly can. Yeah, Amy, uh, can you repeat that website for everybody so that they can scratch it down there one more time? Absolutely. It's azreproductivefreedom.com. So, um, you know, Florida actually has a right to privacy enshrined in the Constitution, which 40 years ago, some forward-thinking feminists uh, got put in there specifically to protect abortion rights in the state of Florida. Uh, how, How will your initiative help women in Arizona in particular? Like, is it a privacy uh, amendment or does it just flat out say that women have the right to choose? Like, what's the the gist of it so that everybody knows? Sure. So our uh, our amendment is specific to reproductive freedom. It lays out the freedom to um, make and effectuate all decisions relating to pregnancy. And that's important because uh, we know that there are other state... um, laws now, I'm thinking of Oklahoma, where they say that life begins at fertilization as opposed to um, implantation. And that brings up uh, issues with IUDs. And so our um, language is such that it covers everything from IVF to fertility treatments to miscarriage management and even postpartum care as being decisions that are made between a patient and their physician. That is really awesome. Amy, thank you so much for joining us, us tonight. One more time, where can our listeners get involved? What is the website? The website is azreproductivefreedom.com. So that's www.azreproductivefreedom.com. And you everybody should hop over there right now if you can. Uh, we're just waiting on Allison Gill to hop in. Uh, she is joining us momentarily i think she just texted me actually um so we will get started with her in just oh there she is uh i don't understand why why these these dirty rotten republicans want to try and uh, harass our sisters our daughters our mothers our grandmas i mean they have no idea what they're talking about these are a bunch of dudes that have no idea about reproductive health at all and they just want to control women and it's disgusting and so i'm glad that we have fighters like Amy and Allison and others leading the way. So uh, I just appreciate them so much. Well, I'd like to welcome Allison to the stage. Thank you for joining us. Allison Gill's the host of Muller She Wrote. And what an amazing show it is, along with the Daily Beans podcast. Allison, thank you so much for joining us on the report card tonight for the first time. Bottom right is the unmute. Bottom right on I actually. I actually do this wrong every time, and Grant Hello. has to lecture me. Hello, and you've been on the, you've been on Colin before. Ag, Miss uh, Doctor Gill, it's Doctor Gill, and uh, Mueller. She wrote Daily Beans podcast. A great friend. I, I guess we can start out by saying we were right about everything. Uh, yeah. How are things? Yep. How are things going for you? Uh, things are great. I just got here to uh, DC early this morning on a red eye from the West coast. So I've been writing and doing my shows and making appearances today. And then hopefully I will be in the hearing room tomorrow. Let's maybe start with your thoughts about GOP rep, Barry Loudermilk leading tours around the Capitol. (laughs) What are are your thoughts regarding that? Is this a swear friendly zone? 
you can, Fuck yes. you can swear. Uh, you can swear. Okay. I'm not swearing this evening. But Scott you're is grandmother, yes. so he's not allowed to swear. But oh my I God. here we go again. Can say anything I want. They do call me grandpa sometimes because of it. But yes, go, go, sure. you, feel free. Because I'm referring to well, this isn't really swearing, but it's it's kind of uh, risque. But I refer to Barry Loudermilk as Ron Burgundy's right testicle um, because it just sounds <laughs> like something Ron Burgundy would name his right testicle, and and Ron Burgundy's left testicle is Kenneth Kenneth Cheesebro. Just so you know. Um, <laughs> Uh, and so here's Barry Loudermilk. Um, I yesterday when when that letter came out, which he used um, to you know from from Manger from the Capitol Police saying, oh everything was on the up and up. Uh, I, I I wasn't buying it, uh, and the reason I wasn't buying it was because you know a lot of people were saying, well he didn't get a tour of the Capitol, he only got a tour of the Cannon Building and Longworth and Rayburn, right? And there was two hours when they were when they were just by themselves roaming around. Uh, and I said, yeah, but that's in the Capitol complex. And that's where a lot of the tunnels connect. And, and by the way, if we all looked or remember the 1776 returns document that was found on Enrique Tarrio's person uh, when uh, when he was uh, arrested. Uh, which just that- came out today, right? Which just came out today, but I cited it yesterday. I said, no, no, no. Remember this document? All of the targeted buildings weren't the Capitol. The targeted buildings included the three buildings that these guys were roaming around in and taking photos of security checkpoints and hallways and tunnels and staircases. Um, So I frankly kind of don't care what the Capitol Police did or didn't think was suspicious activity. And, you know, by the way, if you... Who's really expecting a coup? Why would you be looking for people taking reconnaissance photos? Um, although, you know, I will say it, it is very odd that a congressperson himself was giving this tour. It's usually the staffers that give those tours, unless it's uh, some VIP bigwig donor or something. So it's just, it was suspicious. I'm not sure why the Capitol Police didn't find it so. But, uh, you know, though we now have the video proof, and I love that the committee let him tangle himself up in a giant lie before they hit him with the evidence. Um, I thought that that was well played, and I, I can't wait for more of that. I encourage that if the committee is listening um, <laughs> to make an accusation. I hope they are. I let them deny are. it, and then hit them with the evidence. Because you know what this I'm thinking about now is anytime any anytime an accusation is made. Did you notice, by the way, that Rudy deleted his tweets about saying he wasn't drunk? As soon you mean as- the tweets that. That he blocked me for quote tweeting. Yeah, we yeah. can't. We were, I was blocked a while ago. Grant was blocked, I think, yesterday. I yeah, think yeah. I think it's because that he's like, oh, like when we when they when he found out that the committee hit louder milk with the evidence, I think he was like, uh oh, <laughs> what do they have on no. me? Rock, no, right? no. I think he was thinking I can't deal with another uh, pair of libel lawsuits because think about it. <laughs> Right on its face, he said that they committed perjury and were bribed. Mm-hmm. Those are both crimes. Okay, they can be both. How you fa- can both be right. You can both be right. Just saying. Mm-hmm. It's true. Yeah, yeah. They, it could be. It could be. But I mean, I'm saying like that was like two lawsuits waiting to happen right there on Twitter. And remember how people reacted during mm-hmm. the first impeachment trial when Trump was live tweeting to a large audience about these these uh you know people that were witnesses like think about it 
Yeah. You know, but, you know, but, but, but I think, you know, yes. And, and that makes sense too. I think my larger point was that there are a lot of Republicans are going to think twice about denying anything that the committee has to say. Um, oh yeah. Especially publicly with this louder milk, um, you know, slap in the face with this, with this video, this is damning video. That guy with the Hitler haircut, taking a picture of the, the Rayburn building staircase, capital staircase to, that leads to a tunnel, the same tunnel that Zoe Lofgren was escorted out of the next day. Um, and so, actually, you know, I saw a tweet from, from a former staffer that said that that was the, one of those staircases was the one that led to the impeachment hearings room. Mm. Um, and then if you look at a map, of the Capitol, right? They actually, the Proud Boys 1776 plan actually circles these two buildings mm-hmm. and they are immediately to the South of the Capitol complex. I mean, mm-hmm. think about it. This is where mm-hmm. people were pro- planning to probably escape. This is yeah, like, so, Hey, the escape route. Well, these aren't, these aren't spread out. And AG knows, knows this. She knows the Capitol complex real well. I mean, I spent way too, way, way, way too much time at the Capitol complex over years. And it's just, it's very close together. It's not yeah. as spread out as they're trying to act. And you can, the, the whole point is the, the Capitol complex so that you can get to the Capitol quickly from each side. Yeah. It's a pain during the summer when it's 105 and you have to have a change of a shirt or a suit on the other side. If you go from the house side to the Senate side and you have to walk outside before Uber existed. Yeah. That kind of stuff. But uh, you know, if you go underground and you know, the tunnels, you have to kind of learn those ways. You have to learn those routes. Uh, and so, like, recon missions and people laughing at Lego sets that were built of the Capitol complex. Like, people were planning. They were planning an attack on the Capitol. I mean, like, how would you define it, AG? Like, what what exactly was the plan here? What were they actually going to carry out? Well, the 1776 returns plan, I think, is different from the Capitol plan um, because, you know, we had learned – and that's why I brought it up yesterday. I was very surprised to learn that it came out in a filing. And the, the government didn't release it either. The The Proud Boys defense attorneys released it to, to, to argue, look, we didn't plan attacking the Capitol. We planned attacking these 19 other buildings. Uh, and so that's like his actual defense to get out of pretrial detention. Um, so it's crazy. I mean, that is just so crazy. And you know what really crazies me out is that. The people, all of his friends are members of the local Republican Party where I live here in Miami. Yeah, Miami Dade. I, I saw Texas Paul have a have a, a, a discussion about that, about the Proud Boys infiltrating Miami Dade Republican Party. But um, yeah, the, the 1776 returns plan was, and it says right in there on January 5th, go and get meetings with representatives, go scope out the road closures. You know, uh, make, print, and copy this and hand it out to everyone. And then on the day of, your job is to get 50 people to occupy these targeted buildings and make your demands. And and another point of that entire thing was to draw law enforcement away from the Capitol. Uh, so I think that the attack on the Capitol, which was being planned by the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys, was a separate sort of plan of attack. But we also see in the recent superseding indictment on the Proud Boys, a discussion between Enrique Tarrio on the Ministry of Self-Defense, which is really Harry Potter-esque, signal uh, <laughs> chat, to be like, yeah, like, will, will the sorting hat put you in fascist? Or, yeah, so, 
here, you know, here they are talking back and forth. And, and, and um, I think it was person one who we know to be Jeremy Bertino, who's, who's cooperating, said, uh, hey, uh, 1776 motherfuckers. And Tario replied, the Winter Palace, which is what the title of the 1776 returns document is, the Winter Palace. Yep. And, and that shows that whether or not there were two separate plans here, one for the Capitol and one for the uh, rest of the Capitol complex, what that shows is that the 1776 returns plan was in play that day. Uh, it hadn't been abandoned. It was still part of the plan. Uh, and so that, you know, is is one of the things that led to a seditious conspiracy charge and the superseding indictment. And, you know, I, they have all of those communications now. And now that I have no idea how angry I would be if my defense attorney released the 1776 returns document to the public uh, as some sort of defense. Um, that would be something I would not want to get out if I were criming. Uh, to according to that plan, but it also kind of really fucked Loudermilk's day. <laughs> it really did. I think I think it's just a very bad day to be a proud boy. Uh, mm. You know, here it is: your plan to overthrow the government, laid bare for all to see, and I mean, every single person associated with this group is going to feel the heat from it. They are. Yeah. I mean, so many are flipping, and these proud boys are not really proud boys. They're giant chicken shits. And I've been, I've been following skinhead Nazi white supremacist group culture for decades, and they never, you never see one by themselves um, because they're 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 chickens. They're cowards, uh, and they uh, I. <laughs> So many of them are flipping, and I think so many more will uh, as well once they realize, you know, oh, dang, we can't just dress up and play coup. Um, that's actually <laughs> against the law. Vulnerable. Um, <clears throat> I mean, did you think that these people were backyard warriors? And let me preface this by saying that I spoke with Tosh Adams, uh, who is still Stuart Rhodes's lawful wife. Um, she's the one who released the pictures of him hiding in the spider hole that was okay. literally in their backyard. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, beforehand, what did you think these guys were up to? Well, I've talked to a couple of sources who are very close to these groups and, um, they were actually, they noted that they went from being a cosplaying, you know, all hat, no cattle guys to, very like serious um like they were in a battle zone that day you know um so i I think that the answer is they're both you know they're they're both um and the question is whether or not they were convinced by donald that the election was stolen clearly they were either convinced or just knew it was bs and went along with it because they like to play with their guns and they like to play revolutionary war or uh, then the, the other part of that is did Trump know? And I think that what they laid out in this last hearing that we saw, uh, it gives ample evidence that Donald was told repeatedly by trusted advisors that the election fraud didn't happen. <clears throat> and yet he went ahead and set up a pack and then lied to his donors about it. And that's, that's the crime to me. It is a crime to defraud your donors by saying, you know, the uh, the election was stolen. 
that's a little harder to prove than just defrauding donors by saying your money is going to go to election defense and then taking it for yourself and giving some to Manafort and giving some to Meadows and taking the rest for your family. That's where I think a pretty easy, a pretty easy indictment should come from. Right. Right. Oh, yeah. Right. And, and we've and seen people go way, down for thousands, thousands of dollars. I've seen people I, I was in campaign finance for 15 years and I saw people. We've, we've gotten people in trouble for thousands of dollars where they spent years in prison over stealing thousands of dollars. Of course, there's always that time that the guy stole his mom's campaign money. Uh, it was about $300,000 where they gave him the cash, and then he left for Mexico and said he spent it on drugs and illicit things. Um, so that, that that happens as well. Uh, but, you know, the people who just stole money. I mean, you have – this is a straight-up case of, like, it's fraud, and they – have to have a paper trail, obviously, with the FEC. Um, the curiosity that I have is if him saying it's for our defense fund, what is defined as the defense fund? What is Because the, there's always that catch, right? There's always the, well, it's the, the yeah, defense fund can't... was for my money, my pocketbook. But you can't you can't do the fake marketing scheme, right? Like that's just, no, you can't you just can't say BS. It. You can't use it to enrich yourself, and that's what Bannon was indicted for. Of course, he was pardoned. For that particular crime and the we build the wall scheme, uh, but he was indicted for that and, and fairly simply and straightforwardly. And I I, I don't see Trump escaping this one. Um, and as a matter of fact, I would love it if the post office cops were the ones that arrested Donald. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, I hope you have that on your bingo card. Put it on your bingo card, everyone. The post office cops are they going to be the ones? It's either that or the There's, Fulton County VA, right? Because she's she's got a, a hell of a solid case as well. Yeah, I think her case went from solid to rock solid after the, just the first two hearings. I mean, the second hearing fo- focuses entirely on Donald Trump's knowledge and proving willful blindness. Um, you know, something that a lot of prosecutors have talked about. Um, yeah, I was listening to Joyce Vance talk about that uh, extensively. Um, when, so, when with regards so, to you know, all the people telling Trump that the fraud wasn't real. And then even those very specific uh, where Donahue was like, all right, here, let's take the suitcase thing. Here's the proof against that. And he'd be like, okay, fine. What about the others? And he'd go, all right, let's talk about this. And he went through individual allegations of fraud, debunked them. And then Trump's response was always, okay, fine. What about the others? And that is willful. Bl- I mean, that's like the very definition of it, according to Joyce. Yeah. Um, you know, I want to invite Norm Eisen onto the stage. Allison, you want to stick around? Because you know what? Um, I think you need to be here for when Tristan talks about this stuff. He's the one that prosecuted Trump University. He's our last guest of the night. And if anybody knows about racketeering fraud, I think it's it's Tristan. So I you have want to stick around with us? I have spoken to Tristan, and I would love to hear Norm. However, I do have another hit I have to go to, but I really appreciate it. for us. No, but thank you for taking the time. We do appreciate it. And how can people follow you and your shows? Yeah, if you want all this information for free, you don't even have to, like, subscribe to my Substack or anything. I give all this news out for free on the Daily Beans podcast every, every weekday morning. It's me and Dana Goldberg, News with Swearing, music by They Might Be Giants, uh, and, uh, yeah, all the news that's fit to swear about. <laughs> very cool. Very cool. And, of course, on Twitter, everybody can follow you at Muller She Wrote, correct? You got it. You got it. And I'm a little rough around the edges, so don't take it personally. 
<laughs> we never do, Allison. We never do. Dr. Gill, thank you so, so much for joining us tonight. Love you guys. Bye-bye, and thanks so much. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stick around a little bit for Norm because he always has just such important things to say. Yes, oh, you uh, got Norm, it. Norm, Norm is uh, uh, obviously amazing, and he's next on the stage. Uh, Mr. Norm Eisen, legal analyst at CNN, was co-counsel for the House Judiciary Committee during the first impeachment and uh, trial of Donald Trump in 2020. He served as White House Special Counsel for Ethics and Government Reform and was the U.S. Ambassador to the Czech Republic, among other things of the many. Uh, Norm, thanks for joining us tonight. How are you? Thank you, Scott. Hi, Grant. Allison, um, uh, I, they could have included my credential as a very loyal reader of your Twitter feed. <laughs> I learned oh. so much there. You were a little tough on my friend Carrie Cordero today. I know, but I'm a nitpicker. I do a little fact. Where would Lloyd, Where where would the, the rule of law be without nitpicking? <laughs> Very well, she true. Said, she said obstruction of Congress, and I'm like, no, no, no. I don't want him to get five years. I want him to get twenty years. She That's was speaking <laughs> loosely. She I had know. Said, she meant that uh, Judge Carter found that he obstructed Congress <laughs> on the way to obstructing an official proceeding. <laughs> I know, I know. I was just nitpicking. And I'm I not even it. a lawyer, Norm. I'm not Mother, even a lawyer. she wrote, I'm starting this Norm Eisen segment brought to you by Muller, she wrote. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent, Norm. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> <laughs> so, right. uh, Norm, Grant, how uh, you doing, I, Scott? How I'm, are you? I'm great, man. It's great to finally actually chat, like you know, discuss things and not just send a message here, message there. I read your book, by the way. Thank uh, you. Which, I mean, come on, didn't everybody listening read uh, Norm's amazing book about the the ambassador's home in the Czech Republic? That is. That's a crazy story. Uh, you the know, Norm, can you? Palace. The, the Last, Last palace. palace. Yeah. It's now available on Remainder. So you can get a hard copy for $4.99 on the bargain nice. table. Oh, you know what? That's $4.99 well spent, everybody. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> so, Norm, I got to ask you are you having flashbacks to impeachment yet? Um, you know, this is like. Uh, impeachment on steroids. It is so much better. They learn from the first impeachment. They learn from the second impeachment and they have mastered the art of, I like to say, doing the Watergate hearings for the streaming era, for the era of Netflix and YouTube and TikTok with these sound bites. And each one of these videos, a little homemade, Right. That's what we know really works. The authenticity, uh, the videos have just been devastating of one Trump world defender after another. Uh, I personally, until the election attack, when you said the words big lie, I thought of Bill Barr. So to have him turn on his his master and bite him on the heel. I mean, it's just Stunning. Is if it's a lie too far for Bill Barr, you know that it's truly a big lie. <laughs> That's a measuring a stick if there ever was one. It's it really is. It's Ivanka. So you've got Trump sniping with Ivanka. It's the campaign manager, Bill Stepien. 
It's my uh, green room uh, acquaintance, Jason Miller. And on oh, and my. on and on, they just, uh, you know, one after another, just putting the knife in. So as you've said, I um, whatever may happen with federal charges, uh, and certainly there is serious reason uh, for Garland. I don't think he's just saying, oh, I'm watching, and the prosecutors are watching. They are watching. But I think... Uh, I think uh, Fonnie Willis, the Fulton County DA in Atlanta, she's likely to move first. And these hearings are giving, putting a lot of wind in her sails. Oh, yeah. Scott, you were going to ask uh, a question. Yeah, yeah. Norm, if you, what do you think the potential is in regards to campaign finance fraud at the state level or at the federal level, potential charges against Trump or the campaign or individuals on the campaign? Because I've seen so many people go down for campaign finance fraud, but also, yeah. you know, they had a lot of lawyers behind it. So I'm not sure yeah. if they had some legalese behind it, you know, that masked it all. Yeah, those are tough cases because some do fall. You got your Dinesh D'Souza's. Of the world. Uh, of course, he got pardoned by Trump. The big pardon bazaar yard sale for pardons at the end of the Trump administration. But, uh, you know, for every one of those, when those cases are tried, you get a John Edwards uh, case uh, oh, where yeah. they were not able to get. the. Those are tough, tough cases because, let's face it, there's a certain amount of puffery. Uh, it should get a hard look. Um, but there's a certain amount of puffery that's accepted in campaign emails. Uh, it should be studied by federal authorities and by state authorities, good old fashioned wire fraud or consumer fraud. You know, I can't, I can't, um, uh, uh, call people up and send them emails, say, I'm going to send you 28 volume encyclopedia and then just send them a copy of my book that y'all were kind <laughs> enough to talk about, or even if I sent all four of my books, uh, the, the, you know, this 24 volumes short, right? And you can't say, I, I want you to give me money for a fraudulent election when there was no election fraud. And I want you to support the election defense fund when there is no election defense fund. But all of that being said, said I would concentrate on good old, Vanilla, uh, uh, 18 U.S.C. 1512, good old 18 U.S.C. 371, obstruction of an official proceeding in Congress, uh, conspiracy to defraud the U.S. And these cases are being charged. So, and they're charged every day. So, uh, you know, and, but the, again, that's the federal, the state. And that's the Georgia statutes forbidding solicitation of election fraud. That fits Trump's conduct like uh, like a glove with Raffensperger. And here's what's best. It's not just the law. You got the smoking gun. You got the tape. Yeah, just the tape is 11, incredibly specific. Votes. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, but, you got like, the evidence. You got the law. One more, and you got a tough prosecutor, Fonnie Willis. She's tough. Yeah, I mean that's a great contrast with the the Russia investigation, which never turned up like that one like recorded or you know documented like, hey, this is what we're gonna do. Everything was done so on the fly, probably all by telephone and not recorded. Um, you know, nobody made a recording of the infamous uh, 
you know, meeting inside of Trump Tower mm-hmm. with the, the Russian lawyer. Um, I mean, we even spoke to Rob Goldstone and he told us a lot about it. Uh, but nobody had that, the, 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 you know, the receipts. Yeah. This is so much different. The, the question is, <laughs> do you think that it's going to happen fast enough to, to impact voters' opinions of who should be in office? Because, frankly, if people aren't informed about this before they make the most important decisions they're going to make over the course of the next six months um, when it comes to the, you know, who they want to represent them, none of it matters. Do you think that this is going to come to a head fast enough to matter for voters in 2022, Norm? Well, um, I'm going to answer that question, and I'm going to do it in a nonpartisan way, because the democracy would not have survived in 2020 without Democrats and Republicans alike resisting Trump's blandishments. But I like to say that the we will measure the success of the January 6th committee and all else in three places. In the cable box, are they getting the truth out? That is happening. Unbelievable. The resonance, the way the ripple effects across all of our society. Amazing. The jury box, right? We got to get the prosecutions and the ballot box. Not in a partisan way. 2022 is going to be a referendum. Democracy or Trumpery. That's my fourth book, Overcoming Trumpery just out at fine booksellers and independent bookstores near you. Democracy or Trumpery. So I think that the the committee is setting that stage in an unbelievably effective fashion. I do not know. I think it's likely. It's not 100%. There is no 100% in criminal prosecutions, not in when they're investigated, not in when they're brought, and not in what the jury does with them or the appellate courts do with a jury verdict. You're really not done until the Supreme Court has denied cert for the last time. Um, And in any prosecution of Trump, it is likely to go up to the Supreme Court once or more than once. Look at the Vance case. It didn't even get to a prosecution. It went to the Supreme Court twice. All that being said, high likelihood of prosecution I think the hearings are doing a beautiful job of queuing up uh, 2022 as a referendum on democracy. I think there's a strong likelihood of a state prosecution at last for these outrageous acts. And, um, and beyond that, we'll see if the feds charge and we'll see what the timing is and how it impacts 22 and 24. I think it's very likely those charges will be there before 24. And I don't see how people, you know, the committee is just uh, transforming how any objective American thinks about Trump. I mean, it's so devastating to hear these people talking, and I think it's breaking through. Well, Norm, I really appreciate your analysis. I mean, you've seen this from the inside (laughs) in a way that just nobody else has. Yeah, um, I have. I mean, and it ain't pretty. It is not yeah. pretty. Yeah, it is not pretty. I mean, it's it's really wild to think how um, so many other things, you know, took place that, that we all saw as a magnitude of horrible. And, you know, they ha- they still struggled to break through. And, of course, the things that you pursued in impeachment are now front yeah. page news every single day. They are literally what is impacting people's wallets today 
Well, we we said, we predicted it would do worse if they didn't convict him in the trial. But thank goodness uh, the alarm has been sounded. The committee's doing a good job. The cable box, we're winning justice and the rule of law is winning at the cable box. On to the nonpartisan referendum, democracy or trumpery, the ballot box, and then the jury box. Thanks for having me. And Norm, where can our listeners follow you on Twitter and find out more about your books? You have like a website that everybody can go to? Yeah, uh, they can follow me on Twitter at at Norm Eisen. And they can check out my website, Norman Eisen, N-O-R-M-A-N-E-I-S-E-N dot com. Well, Norm, again, thank you so much for joining us on the program tonight. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, friends. Talk soon. We certainly will. So we have another fantastic guest right here with us live, Glenn Kirshner, the host of Justice Matters. Uh, MSNBC contributor. And of course, Glenn is a former assistant U.S. attorney at the D.C. U.S. Attorney's Office, uh, bringing his wisdom to so, so many Americans during these times of peril. Glenn, thank you so much for joining us tonight so that we can discuss what is happening with the January 6th committee, the state of democracy, what is going to happen with the hundred Republican candidates all across America, many of them seeking positions to oversee elections who participated in the January 6th insurrection in the riot. Um, it's, it's really uh, crazy times. Go ahead and unmute yourself. Just hit that little microphone in the bottom right-hand corner, Glenn. Uh, thank you so much again for joining us on the report card. Hey, gentlemen, I'm, I'm happy to be with you. And, you know, regarding all of the insurrectionists we still have running around footloose and fancy free. And, you know, that includes not only, you know, massive numbers of Trump's angry mob that attacked the Capitol on January 6th. But we have members of Congress who are insurrectionists and they're running for reelection because they're not done trying to destroy our democracy from within. And of course, in the various states, we have insurrectionists. And one thing I can promise everybody is if there is no accountability for what Donald Trump and his co-conspirators and what the insurrectionists in Congress have done, well, then we can expect more of it because that will be the Department of Justice putting its stamp of approval on what Donald Trump and company did in their determination to steal the election results, deny President Biden his rightful win, and in a very real sense, bring an end to our democracy. And, you know, one of my pet peeves these days, and I was, yeah, I was a Fed for 30 years, but I'm not enamored of everything that we do and and the way we do it. You know, we we have lots of norms and traditions that govern the way we operate as federal prosecutors. One of those norms and traditions involves a 60-day period of time prior to an election where we try not to engage in any overt law enforcement activity that could be perceived as partisan or could be perceived as interfering in the election. Well, 
I would call that a quaint little norm and tradition because when we realize we have insurrectionists in Congress who are running for re-election, I don't think it's smart to give them a 60-day election holiday so they can get re-elected, become more firmly entrenched in Congress and continue to try to kill our democracy from within. The one thing I really don't want to see is I don't want us looking back from the end of our democracy and see America's headstone read, you know, rest in peace, America. Um, at least the Dems abided by norms and traditions. I'm not saying you stoop to, you know, some kind of an illegal level, but there comes a time when you have to take the gloves off, you have to use every tool in your arsenal, every lawful tool, and you have to fight hard to save this country. And it doesn't feel like we are always fighting hard enough to save our democracy. Well, Glenn, there's there's one question that's been burning in my mind to ask you specifically, because I know that you followed the 14th Amendment proceedings with Marjorie Taylor Greene and with Madison mm -hmm. Cawthorn, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, so, you know, hearing during the first January 6th hearing, like when I heard that there were members of Congress who had requested pardons for their activities on January 6th, I immediately tweeted that and it went crazy viral. And I thought, Glenn can answer this. Would that request for pardon be sufficient evidence under the 14th Amendment for the House to deny them entry if reelected during I, the next cycle? I don't think we have any definitive answers to what is enough evidence to disqualify somebody under the 14th Amendment. What I what I will say is a criminal prosecution for um, uh, seditious conspiracy. Well, certainly for treason. Um, for, I think, seditious conspiracy, but not inciting an insurrection. The federal code has different sentences available for, for different crimes upon conviction. Some of those sentences include disqualification from future federal office. But, you know, the, the, the civil uh, cases that are being launched and are being litigated by uh, Free, Free Speech for People, a, a great organization that is, you know, working hard to step into the breach and try to seek the disqualification of some of these uh, these members of Congress. It's With such Ron Fine, right? Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And, and it's, it's such uncharted waters that I, I think the judges, quite frankly, regardless of how fair and independent they are, I, I think are going to be hard pressed to disqualify members of Congress from serving or from holding office based on this civil litigation. I think you need criminal convictions to guarantee that we can disqualify people. And, you know, that all hinges on the Department of Justice beginning to bring the charges that we have seen, you know, proved in the harsh light of day by the J6 committee, by the public reporting. And we're going to see more of it in the weeks to come. Right, Glenn. And, and if you were investigating, Scott here, if you were investigating those who helped organize and fund the insurrection, not the people who actually attacked the building, 
Uh, would you be able to indict them? And if so, what do you think you'd indict them for? What kind of crimes, if that's possible? I know that yeah. you love hypotheticals as a prosecutor <laughs> and whatnot. But yeah, it, what, what, what crimes could there be to be found? So they could be part of the um, conspiracy against the United States that uh, Norm Eisen was just talking about a 371 conspiracy. You know, uh, that statute says that if you're involved in a conspiracy to defraud or commit almost any offenses against the United States, then you're on the hook for a 371 conspiracy. That is precisely one of the charges Bob Mueller used to indict the Russian Internet Research Agency for interfering in our election. So if you're criminally interfering in our elections, um, you're on the hook for a 371 conspiracy. But here's where it gets tricky. And, you know, we don't yet know what all of the evidence is against those who funded and organized the insurrection. Uh, I'm pretty comfortable saying that Donald Trump and others incited the insurrection. You know, when Donald Trump First of all, he recruited the Proud Boys by saying, stand back and stand by. He then set the date for the Capitol attack come to D.C. on January 6th, will be wild. He gave the order, just just like if you're watching an old, you know, movie, an old uh, military movie, when somebody says, charge, Donald Trump gave the order to charge. He said, go to the Capitol, fight like hell or you won't have a country anymore. Stop the certification. Of course, he used the word he used the word other than certification. He used the word steal, which is beautiful because that has the fringe benefit of proving his corrupt intent, because he knew there was no steal, as has been proved over and over and over again by the Bill Bars and the Richard Donahue's and the others. So um, but but here's the tricky part. Going back to your original question, you could have rented buses and you could have, you know, invited any number of folk to go to D.C. on January 6th to attend Donald Trump's rally on the ellipse. That doesn't mean you knew or you could predict that Donald Trump would incite that mob to imminent violence. Donald Trump, Rudy Giuliani, Mo Brooks, John Eastman, Don Jr., they all, I believe, incited that mob to violence. But just because you participated in the organization or you rented buses to get people to the rally. Yes, I'm a prosecutor. I like to find crimes under every rock. I don't know that that's enough. There need there needs to be more criminal meat on the bones before you can say, yes, the evidence proves that they were all part of a conspiracy against the United States. In fact, I've spoken with some of the people who, who were involved in the more mundane rally planning and they didn't have any clue. In fact, it was the opposite because all the permits were pulled specifically without a march because they had planned a march previously. And marches take a significantly higher level of security than rallies, than like mm -hmm. standalone rallies. Um, yeah. So, so that's why I say you can't leap to the conclusion that everybody who rented a bus um, is part of the criminal conspiracy. That, that may very well not be the case. So there's another matter that is going to come up tomorrow, and that is the pressure on Mike Pence. That seems like like just an entirely rich vein of criminal activity where you're pressuring a public official to invalidate his job. And we just got a copy of the three-page memo 
uh, sent from Mike Pence's counsel to the team refuting John Eastman, Donald Trump's election lawyer, uh, refuting the John Eastman plan point by point. And I thought as a non-lawyer, it seemed very significant that point by point uh, Eastman was asking uh, the vice president specifically to violate the Election Count Act. Is that something that you think is going to play prominently in any future criminal charges? And how does the relationship between Donald Trump and his agent, his lawyer, like the person acting as his agent, how does that relationship play into any potential criminal culpability from their acts directed specifically towards Mike Pence? Yeah. So um, let me answer the last question first. How does the relationship between Donald Trump and John Eastman factor into, for example, any future prosecution? Now, I can tell you that prosecutors love their conspiracy charges because the criminal reach of liability, once you can prove somebody was a member of a criminal conspiracy, is extremely broad. It's far reaching. It's You know, co-conspirator liability says that once you're part of a conspiracy, you are criminally responsible for every crime that was committed by every fellow member of the conspiracy, whether you personally participated in it or not, whether you knew about it or not. As as long as it it was a reasonably foreseeable crime, given the nature of of the conspiracy that you voluntarily joined. And what we already have, and and as a former career prosecutor, we already have a federal judge in California, David Carter, Middle District of California, ruling multiple times that there is enough evidence to satisfy the burden of a preponderance of the evidence. That's really important. I'll talk about why in a minute. That Donald Trump and John Eastman together were in a conspiracy to defraud or commit offenses against the United States, and they obstructed an official proceeding, that being the certification of Joe Biden's win. The reason that evidentiary standard that has been satisfied in Judge Carter's estimation is so important is because that's a higher evidentiary uh, hurdle that we have to overcome as prosecutors then we need to indict somebody. To arrest and indict somebody, you only need probable cause. That's well below the 51% more likely than not represented by a preponderance of the evidence finding. And what's so mind-blowing is that the judiciary doesn't usually make pronouncements like that. Now, yes, this was in the context of litigating whether the crime fraud exception applied to the Eastman emails. But ordinarily, the way this works is DOJ (laughs) investigates, they indict, they take to trial, they convict, and then come sentencing, the judge starts talking about the crimes the defendant committed. We have had the judiciary out front, whether it's Judge David Carter, whether it's uh, Judge Emmett Sullivan, whether it's Judge Amit Mehta, whether it's Judge Amy Berman Jackson or uh, Judge Reggie Walton, they have been announcing and articulating what they're seeing by way of Donald Trump's criminal culpability. And, you know, it it does feel like the Department of Justice is lagging behind a little bit. I understand the need to investigate this exhaustively and to perfection, which is the way federal prosecutors ordinarily like to do it before you return an indictment against a former president. 
but you also have to appreciate the urgency of the moment and that our democracy is hanging in the balance. And you have to begin to move out, especially as we move toward, you know, the midterms and then the 2024 election. Right. Is there anything that you think the January 6th committee may not be looking at at the 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 time you know right now what can they be doing better i guess is what i'm asking i don't think they can do it much better than they've been doing it the chief investigative counsel tim heafy and i worked rico cases together at the dc u.s attorney's office he's one of the finest rico prosecutors i ever had the pleasure of working with Uh, he has assembled a terrific team of former federal prosecutors and you know i did a piece for msnbc daily asking is there Uh, a method to this investigative madness, because ordinarily congressional committees don't go first when it comes to investigating crime with DOJ going second. But I lay out all the reasons why it it is probably not only appropriate, but smart tactically for J6 to have gone first and DOJ to have gone second. And and I can share that the top line takeaway is because if DOJ went first and they grand juried these 1,000 plus witnesses, the American people wouldn't know what they said for years, if ever. Now we're getting it in living color. And that is a hearts and minds campaign for the American people and for the world to show what Donald Trump and company did publicly. And then we can follow up with indictments by the Department of Justice. So uh, the last question, and this is, you know, you don't have to go into full depth because this could be like, an hour-long answer because it's so deep, but just give us the nutshell on it. How would you compare this to the way that the Watergate Committee functioned in terms of how Congress fed uh, prosecutorial action? Are we like kind of starting to skate on the same path for the first time in the last six years? You know, I, I think we are. And if you look at the Watergate time frame, you know, it took about two, two and a half years for accountability to come to complete fruition, strike that, it never came to complete fruition because of that preemptive blanket pardon, which I think was not only ill-advised, I mean, easy for me to say, these were, those were difficult decisions that had to be made. How do you best heal the country? But I contend you can draw a straight line from the, you know, Ford pardon of Nixon to Donald Trump. You know, Donald Trump believed he was going to get away with everything. And thus far, he has. But, you know, if we continue down the road where you can't indict a sitting criminal president, courtesy of that horrific OLC opinion, and you end up not indicting a former president for the crimes he committed while in office, then that's DOJ giving the 2024 Republican nominee its stamp of approval to do it all over again. And I don't think America can survive four more years of what we've just been through. Yeah, neither do I. I, I. And I think that Americans deserve better from their leaders as well. Uh, Glenn, thank you so, so much for joining us tonight. This has been so educational because, you know, there's a lot of questions that I think are, are dangling out there. These are the facts that are being put together, but your expert analysis and, and understanding of the law and how these things work really adds so much to, to everybody's understanding of what the January 6th committee is doing, what it's capable of, and what the outcomes uh, are potentially. Where can our, fo- our our listeners follow you and find out more about ju- Justice Matters and, you know, get your updates, Twitter, uh, your podcast? 
Yeah, on Twitter, I'm Glenn Kirshner 2. I hope to graduate to Glenn Kirshner 1 someday, but yeah, they can find me <laughs> at Glenn Kirshner 2. Um, I, I, I think I'm not good with the social media handles, but if they go to YouTube and they just either search my name, Glenn Kirshner, I think technically it may be under Glenn Kirshner 2, or search Justice Matters. That's the name of my YouTube channel. I post a, a legal analysis video every day, seven days a week, rain or shine. And, um, you know, we, we, we try to talk about, you know, what's unfolding and put it in the larger context and hopefully give people information they can use in assessing what, what in the world is, is going on in this upside down world that we're living in today. Yeah. Again, Glenn, thank you so, so much for joining us tonight. I mean, this has been so educational. If you want, stick around because we're going to start talking Rico here with Tristan Snell. He actually had the the you know honor and duty of pursuing the Trump University case for the New York Attorney General's office. And you can go ahead and hit that button at the bottom right, Tristan, and unmute yourself. Um, you know, Tristan has a unique oh, experience, I'd say, pursuing justice against Donald Trump uh, from the public sector for a national racketeering fraud and Boy, those are the most complicated cases in any case, like in any setting. And to pursue one that's national, it's like quadruple the complexity. Uh, Tristan is also the founder of Main Street Law. And, you know, thank you just so much for coming on tonight. No problem, guys. Great to be here. Yeah, yeah, we missed you. Uh, so, I mean, I wanted to ask you, like, we saw this tremendous revelation, the, the big scam. Um, in the last January 6th hearing. And what it amounted to was that after the election, after the campaign was over, Donald Trump's team sent out emails claiming that their donors would give money to an election fund. They didn't actually have a fund. And then they placed some of that money or you know what they'd collected into a leadership pack down the road. And a lot of people are saying that sounds like fraud. Tristan, what is your opinion? Do you think that that sounds like fraud? It sure as heck does to me. I mean, I think we need to we, we're going to need to learn more about exactly what was said. Really, you're matching up two things. You're matching up what was said to the donors and then what actually happened. And right. by all by all appearances, though, I mean, one the one thing that's safe to say sort of you know, kind of putting on my, um, my, you know, former assistant attorney general hat is there's certainly enough there to justify doing an investigatory subpoena. Um, and it's, you know, great that they'll do one to the Trump people assuredly, but the real kicker is that they'll do a bunch more of them to a lot of third parties. Uh, and most of this case is, material that is within the possession, custody, and control of third parties. So uh, there's a pretty uh, ripe case to be had here uh, to at least see whether or not there was wrongdoing. But the what, what's been reported so far gives off a very, very strong uh, whiff of rottenness. Uh, let me follow up, too, because, um, you know, it seems to me that the entry, like the collection and disposition of the money, is really like the crooks of it, right? Like it's not so much, I mean, it part of it is what they did subsequently, but isn't like that, like where it starts kind of is where you finish. Is that, is that fair to say? 
Uh, I mean, to some degree, yeah. Because look, it, the, the very fact that they were saying it was going to go to the legal matters with regard to the election, and then it it isn't. I mean, it actually. That's the thing. I'm I'm only hesitating here because you don't have all the facts. Well, it's it's honestly it's that it looks like it really looks like it's very simple. And so yeah. that that gives me pause because I'm like is it really so simple is there something else that we're missing? <laughs> but but honestly no. That's the thing. If I if I weren't, you know, and and also I try not to do things like say Rudy Giuliani has done and say a bunch of untruths in the public sphere when I'm an attorney and I have to live up to certain ethical standards. So I'm not, you know, so if I weren't an attorney, I might be a lot more willing to just, or, you know, if I had actually stopped practicing law and decided to be a former attorney, which I'm not going to do, um, I would would probably be a lot more willing to just be like, Oh yeah, this is definitely fraud. I I mean, it really, really looks like it. I mean, like, I just don't under, there's, there, there's got to be, you know, there would have to be a really darn good explanation for how this isn't fraud. I mean, it really, and, and also when you're talking about who's doing the defrauding, it's like you're, you're dealing with like chronic recidivist fraudsters. They have defrauded right. tons of people about all sorts of ventures that they've done over time. Uh, you know, they've defrauded people for charities. Uh, they've defrauded people for their fake university. They've defrauded people for other uh, multi-level marketing schemes. They've defrauded people with regard to real estate. Like there's tons of stuff. So, it, it, you know, it, it's basically like, is the tiger ever going to change its stripes? No, no, there, <laughs> you know, grifters, grifters, grifters going to grift. And, and, that, and, and, and we, we, we probably shouldn't be surprised, you know, and, you know, what I also love about this, I just want to throw this in before I forget, is that it's also the hilarious disconnect of how much they raised, the amount of legal firepower that could have afforded them, and the people that they actually had on their election defense team. <laughs> they paid for four. Oh, you know what? I, I'm going to say this first here, but then I reserve the right to use it in a tweet right now because I just sure, tweet it. They paid for the four, for four seasons quality legal work, and they did, and they got, and and actually obtained four seasons landscaping quality legal work. <laughs> That's what they did because they could have had the best lawyers in America working on this, and instead they had Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell and Lynn Wood and Jenna Ellis and John Eastman. You know, like ah, the D, what the a crew, D team, what the a D crew. team. The, the 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 D team the 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 F team of legal. That they, it it they, reminds they, me and, of and Young it, Frankenstein. Uh, the, right, their team the, Abby Normal. <laughs> right, <laughs> Remember? Right. Oh, I yes, I couldn't exactly. find the normal brain, so I got the Abby Normal brain. The Abby Normal that's brain. So yeah, it, very but, but that's what they got. They, they could have had at two hundred fifty million dollars. You bring in jones day you bring in boys schiller like these are you know the top law firms uh in the country that's who you would bring in to do something like this um you know he has occasionally brought in some higher price lawyers for stuff in the past but usually he goes cheap um and of course the thing is like he brought in people like rudy and then didn't even pay them so the 250 million dollars <laughs> i one of the questions i would want to ask is did Oh, we lost him it there did. for a second. 
between the election oh, and the what inauguration. You said. Did any of that actually uh, working on the election cases? I don't know if a single penny of that actually went to an attorney unless maybe – That's a great question because as we all recall, yeah. defending the Republic – maybe somebody knows – Which was Sidney Powell's vehicle. Yeah, Sidney Powell's vehicle took in $15 million and was spending money on all sorts of lawyers. We know that. Um, so it really is a great question as to if they spent anything at all on these election lawyers because they kind of dismissed Team Normal pretty quickly. And Team Abby Normal was all kind of like independent contractors, so to speak. Right? Say that again. I, I The connection flaked out for a second. Oh, uh, you know, d- defending the Republican paid a lot of money for lawyers, but uh, Team Abby Normal, uh, as we call it, it was like Rudy <laughs> never got paid. Rudy right? never got paid, no. We know uh, Sydney, we know. Sydney Powell uh, got kicked out and then took her money from the grift, right? We don't know if Jenna Ellis got paid, but how much could they have spent on Jenna Ellis? I mean, like... <laughs> I mean, come on, folks. <laughs> this is not... <laughs> I mean, you know, like, you know, hey, she could be the nicest person in the world, and we don't know it, except we for don't her, know. You know, I don't supporting know. the big lie. But like, how much would Janet yeah, Ellis I, I really draw as an attorney? Her, yeah, I, I, I don't mean, five hundred an hour. This is a big campaign we're talking about. They raised two hundred and fifty million dollars. I mean, I'm trying to remember who was it that? Uh, oh gosh, I can't remember now. It was somebody big. I'm trying to remember who, when, when, in two thousand, when you had the Florida recount. And then it went to the Supreme Court. The Bush campaign had the Bush campaign probably raised a bunch of money for legal defense during that time. The Bushes probably the Bushes, I'm sure, hit up all of their you know whatever they called them the the uh, pioneers. They, it's what they called the 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 big time Bush donors and bundlers. I'm sure they hit up all those people and got and got a whole bunch of money from them, millions of dollars that then went to the legal defense. And I'm trying to remember who it was that they got to argue the case in front of the Supreme Court. Uh, Gore had David Boies, uh, but there was an equally good and for Ben Ginsburg, know, he testified. Was, yeah, that's right. It, look, they got Ben Ginsburg real. testified they, at the hearings this week. Yes, exactly. Yeah, there you go. So it all comes full circle. But they had real people. Like when the Republicans were, when the Bushes wanted to, you know, not that I agree certainly with the outcome, with a lot of the tactics, a lot of that, there's, that was a whole lot of awfulness of its own, but uh, a, a shadow of what we have now, they actually, they actually hired real lawyers to, to, to go out, to actually uh, litigate those cases in Florida and then go up to the Supreme Court. The Trump people, they literally had a goddamn clown car show up. Um, and they raised $250 million and we don't, and literally like, well, we do know where it went. It went to basically, it basically, it, it, it played a shell game and just moved that over into something that he'll then be able to use to support pro-Trump candidates throughout the Republican party. Um, like basically I'll just say that some of this money now go to try to take out Nancy Mace in South Carolina this week. A little bit of it, probably. That's that's the one thing that's been unusual, that Trump hoarded all of this money, but he spent very little outside of the races in Georgia, where he was deeply unsuccessful. Right. Um, Well, I mean, and and I'm sure he'll still probably spend a bunch of money now on Herschel Walker. Like some of that money, some of that money is going to go to Herschel Walker. Like that's probably, you know, that that, that, that's what that's what's about to happen. Some of it will probably go to J.D. Vance. Like that's what's right. going to happen to some of this money, and a bunch of it's then going to get saved for 
you know, the next couple of years. 2024 to go yeah. against DeSantis, it looks like. To, to, yeah, to go, yeah, to go up against DeSantis or whatever the heck's going to happen or it gets given to junior or something like it's going to end up in somebody else's pocket and it's not going to go to what it was supposed to go to. That sounds so, familiar to something that uh, I remember that you had worked on that, the big uh, Trump university case. Uh, <laughs> you wrote, can, you, can you remind people what happened and what the outcome was? And most importantly, what the parallels are to now? Sure. So the with the Trump University case, it was a you know they they called it a university. It, it, they tried to have a bunch of the sort of insignia of a real school, uh, and the it was supposed to teach uh, real estate tips and tricks, and basically how to invest in real estate, and and it was supposed to be teaching methods that were supposedly unique to Donald Trump, like he was going to be giving you his secrets for how he uh, made money in real estate. Uh, and in reality, it was a Trump gold leaf, like, you know, wrapper around a standard, uh, you know, seminar course type of thing with motivational speakers, most of whom had never done any investing in real estate, a couple of whom had and actually gone into personal bankruptcy doing it. Um, you know, Trump was bragging that all the teachers were handpicked by him. They weren't. They were trying to say it was a real school. It wasn't. It wasn't licensed. They're not allowed to call it a university without uh, without approval from New York State. They weren't allowed. They didn't have a license from New York State to operate it as a school. Uh, you know, there there were just a, a ton of, of of things that were wrong with it, and tons and tons of falsehoods. And the entire thing was a giant bait and switch. You'd come, you'd show up for three days for $1,500. And then at the end of it, they would basically tell you, well, to tell you what you really need to know, now you have to pay $35,000 and have a mentor uh, to join the Trump Gold Elite program. Uh, so they never, and then you joined that and then you still didn't really get any expertise or help of any kind. There was no follow-up, et cetera, et cetera. They're, they kept on pulling some of these people along and getting them to part with larger and larger amounts of money, but they never actually did what they said they were going to do. Um, and, and just from the very get go, the things that were on like the, the mailers or the flyer or the radio ads all said that Trump handpicked all of these people. He'd never met any of them in his life. These were all just people they hired off the street who were motiv motivational speakers who, who would then speak to, you know, a couple hundred people in a hotel ballroom and try to convince them to buy more and more expensive packages. Pretty standard stuff. Uh, and it was all just with the Trump name splashed all over it. But it was all BS, the whole thing. Um, so that's how much did he make from it? I mean, how much did he revenue, ultimately graft in? Yeah, revenue was forty two million dollars. Uh, they operated it most extensively for about a three-year period. There were some other time periods where it was sort of operating, but most of that money was taken in, in three years. Um, the, we, we, the, the, head account, the main accountant for Trump University testified that Donald Trump had made personally about uh, over $5 million worth of profit off of that. It's uh, a lot of money. That, that he pocketed, despite the fact that the speakers would routinely say, and this should sound familiar, Trump, Donald Trump doesn't need your money. Your tuition is all going to charity. Oh my gosh, That's, really? Yes. He, they, they, this is a, 
to me, the fact that they've used that line so consistently over time says to me that Donald Trump actually tells them to use that line. I think that's coming directly from him. Um, and then that, that's just a lie that they've used wow. over and over and over again. Because um, they did the same thing with the, uh, with trying to, well, it was the, it, it was the, they were trying to get, um, they're trying to, they were, they were raising money for veterans and went to the Trump campaign, right? That, that, that right, right. The Trump um, campaign, Trump chari- uh, foundation swindle. Yeah. The Trump foundation thing was, was taken down by the age and now the Trump foundation is dead. Uh, it was, it was, it was broken up and now the, none of them are allowed to uh, do a foundation in New York again. Um, so, so what happened with our case was we, open an investigation it took and also i'll caution people on this it took uh it took it took years to to actually do it took two years to do the investigation uh then the case languished in court for another three years plus uh and then it settled in the late 2016 uh, and then went final in early 2017 after trump won the election um the he ended up settling the case for 25 million so out of the forty-two million, that's that's very good. Um, it's not; it wasn't everything, but it was definitely a good number. I was not there for that part of it. Uh, I was the lead investigator and lead prosecutor on it, and, uh, and was the one who actually did all the interviews, did all the uh, you know worked with the different uh, people to turn their interview uh, statements into affidavits. Uh, did all the subpoenas, uh, reviewed all the documents, and then prepared all the court papers. I uh, ended a lot of that's the a briefing lot. for. It was a lot. Yeah, it was a lot. And the thing is, these, I read um, some of that. It was very extensive. It's very extensive. <laughs> Hundreds yeah. of so pages. Like, yeah. 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 It's yeah. It was a lot. So yeah. So the, you know, the kicker is like, you can get these investigations get going. Um, you know, you basically just have to have a reasonable basis to proceed, uh, which is a fairly low bar. And then where, where are some other parallels? I think that with, with our matter, we broke the case open through doing third party uh, subpoenas. And I think that that's what we would do again here. Like if you if you want to see this case happen, you're going to get the you're going to get the documents and materials from the banks and other financial institutions that process the payments it's not going to be hard to get your hands on the on the solicitation language because those emails were i'm sure people already have them like i haven't seen yeah people i'm sure they're out they they were sent to millions of people right so certainly the solicitation language is there um figuring out pretty sure salesforce has all of that right Uh, they got cut off by salesforce after january 6th so right Yeah, yeah exactly so like all of that stuff is very easily gettable um, and then you can find out where the money is now. So like a lot of the heavy lifting to do this is um, is there. And it's a much more, you know, compared to Trump University, this is much more cut and dried because with Trump University, you really actually had to dig into the weeds of, okay, they were saying all of these things. Now, were they true or were they not? And it was, there was a lot more there that you had to sort of parse through. We had to go through all the transcripts of the seminars. We had to interview dozens and dozens of witnesses um, who were willing to come forward and talk about their experiences. Uh, I don't know if you'll have to do that with this matter, because I think it's pretty simple. Like they said X and they did Y. 
And as a result, the money is over here, whereas it was supposed to get used on this other stuff and it wasn't. I mean, that, that it seems simpler at this point. Maybe I'm going to be wrong, but like it, the case looks simpler. And one thing that's different is that back then, you know, it wasn't going to be something that they threw. You know, we had a number of lawyers on the team uh, that I was lucky to work with. Um, we had a lot of senior people who were paying attention to the case pretty heavily, but at the end of the day, like they didn't put a ton of people on it. Like I did most of the heavy lifting for doing the investigation and preparing all the papers, um, with the Trump matters that they've been doing the Trump tax fraud case that they've got. There are a lot more attorneys that are on that one. I imagine that you're going to see them put more attorneys on this one. So there, there's going to, the resources will be there. Um, so, and, and then there's another parallel, if I, I'll just go a little bit deeper on this for just a minute that, that I think is, sure. is very important to note, which is what legal basis the AG can proceed on. Uh, and there's this law in New York, uh, that's somewhat, you, that, that's somewhat unusual, maybe even totally unique called executive law 6312. Um, it's a cousin, so to speak, to a law that people probably have heard of if they're heavy news readers and really nerd out about this stuff called the Martin Act. The Martin Act is New York's securities fraud statute. The Blue Sky Law. Subsequently, the Blue Sky Law. Exactly. It was the first, it was, it was, it was one of the first, if not the first Blue Sky Laws in America back in the, they did it back in the 20s before the SEC was even created in, in 1933, 1934 under FDR. Um, New York actually had the first blue sky law, I believe. Um, but the Martin Act dates back to the 1920s. And later in, I think it's like 1948 or something like that, they decided to pass a, a different law that was modeled off the, after the Martin Act, but would cover other types of fraud, not just for securities. Any type of fraud, uh, deceptive or fraudulent business practices or illegal business practices of any kind, regardless of whether it was for the sale of securities or anything else. Um, it, and it doesn't even have to be technically for business. It's any deceptive, fraudulent or, uh, or, illegal, or illegal activity. Uh, it's been defined as very, very, very broadly. Uh, and that is a statutory fraud uh, cause of action that does not require that the AG's office prove intent. Whereas common law fraud requires proving intent and it requires that the defrauded party reasonably relied on the fraud uh, or rather that they, uh, yes, that they reasonably relied on the fraud. It's called reasonable reliance. Um, I.e. if you were really just totally an idiot to believe the fraud, then it isn't fraud. That actually is the law for common law fraud. Um, it makes it very, very tough for private parties to bring fraud actions. Uh, it's, it's, it sounds like the Tucker Carlson carve out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you were stupid <laughs> enough to believe Tucker Carlson, then you can't sue him for fraud. I mean, it's it, but it's very tough. That's scary, except, but yeah, legally true, I think, at this point. Exception to that ends up being really in consumer statutes. Most of the time, there's a lot of consumer protection statutes that then have a yeah, different yeah. standard for bringing a fraud case. But but if you weren't a consumer, then then it doesn't apply. The executive law 6312 can only be brought by the AG's office, basically vindicating the rights of, you know, some injured party. And the 
we used exec, exec law 6312 in the Trump university case. Uh, it's be it's the one they're going to be relying on for the Trump tax fraud case, uh, the one for which the Trumps are going to be getting deposed in a month. Uh, and it is almost certainly the one that they would use to investigate and potentially prosecute Trump for this uh, election fraud uh, or, I guess, election protection fraud. I don't even know what we're going to call it yet. We don't even have a good name. But basically this whole uh, you know, stop the big the scam fraud, the big the, you scam, know, the, 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 the new, the newest big scam, right? Um, whatever, <laughs> they're going to use that same statute. And so again, the key is it doesn't like with some of these, when they're bringing it under exec law 6312, you don't need to be able to prove that they intent that they had some sort of malevolent intent. You just need to prove that it had the, the courts in New York have held that, that the standard is whether or not the uh, the misrepresentations had a tendency to deceive. So basically you're just, it, it's the judge, because it's usually a judge in these cases, making a judgment call about whether or not it was deceptive or not. And if they're saying that the money was gonna go to lawyers and then it ends up going to uh, a leadership pack so that it can get spent on political candidates to be named later, slash to get spent on something else for uh, for Trump for political purposes, then it is fraud. And it also does not matter whether or not a lot of these, a lot of these donors would have given the money anyway, right? I get that. But the thing is that some of them wouldn't. And also for purposes of the statute, it doesn't matter. Fraud is fraud, <sighs> even if the defrauded parties don't come forward. They're not the ones who are going to be the plaintiffs if this gets that far. The plaintiffs would be, it would be the people of the state of New York by their attorney general, in this case, Letitia James. And right. she's already announced that she's be. about to to look into it. So she, 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 I think we be better look, buckle up. Be looking into it. They're going to be looking into it. And, and, and I think that they're going to be able to get most of the material from third parties, not from the Trumps. The Trumps will stonewall. The Trumps will not be producing hardly anything. That's, that's their MO. Um, but they will be able to get most of these materials from uh, banks and other third parties who will comply even tell the trumps that they're complying that's usually how these go so, so where can people, so where can people follow you will get the material oh they will i am at, i am i'm at tristan snell on twitter uh that's the main place to find me right now um i do have some other stuff brewing but it's not live yet so that's really the best place to find me Okay, well, and, and on here, out. I now have an account on Colin. So, and I think Woo! I'm going to try it out a little bit more. So, you, you can go follow me on here, too. Right. Excellent. Okay, awesome. We'll make Excellent. sure that people do that. And I'll send out a follow request, as we do for every guest on our show, um, to, to thank him and Tristan. I really appreciate your time tonight and uh, all of your insight. It was really unique. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, y'all. Really appreciate it. Uh, and uh, yeah, glad that this worked out. And uh, and thanks, everybody, for listening. Well, thanks. What a, what a great show we've had tonight. Um, you know, as, as we close here, you know, I want to obviously thank all of our guests tonight. Amy Fitch Haycock, uh, Allison Gill, AG from Mola, she wrote, uh, Norm Eisen, uh, Glenn Kirshner, and uh, Tristan Snell. And we'll obviously send out follow requests and their books and their uh, YouTube links and everything. 
we'll 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 close. I'll close my part with this, and I'm going to hand it over to Grant to end the show. Uh, I know things are tough right now for everyone. I know everyone is burnt out from everything. I I know I am, and I know we're all still hurting, right? And we're reliving January 6th. We're reliving a, a terrorist attack at a constant. Uh, but I want you to remember just hope. I want you to remember the hope of Obama, the hope of Kennedy. I want you to recall the positive times in U.S. history, the big wins we've had over the last decades, right, with health care, uh, with beating Trump overall, you know. What we need to do is we need to channel that in order to move forward as a country on the positive notes. It doesn't mean move past the justice that we deserve for January 6th, but it does mean that we have to move forward. Uh, I guess one of the things I wanted to say is I'm so lucky to have love from everybody in my life, and I'm so lucky to have support from all of you. Uh, So I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for everything. Please don't give up hope. If you need somebody to talk to, I'm always there for you. Um, you know, we need that hope, and we need you in order for our democracy to survive. Um, so I love y'all. Thank you for all you do. Thank you for listening. Uh, Grant? You know, Scott, it's so true. Uh, none of this matters unless other people get involved. You know, we're sitting here having these incredible discussions, but it takes millions and millions of hands all pushing in the same direction with one idea in mind. And we spent so many years in the opposition fighting as part of the resistance. And everybody is exhausted from that fight. Everybody thought that that fight was actually going to come to an end. The day of January 6th, that was the day. In fact, that morning, Two Senate seats in the state of Georgia flipped, shocking the world, flipping control of the United States Senate. And we thought that that was the mountaintop. But here we are, 18 months into extra innings. And it's ever more important to retain your resolve and to keep active and to start looking for what you can do this year during the 2022 elections. I mentioned it, 100 Republicans who participated in the January 6th attack on our democracy are running for office. They are running for governor. They are running for secretary of state. They are the nominees in their states. Nevada has a nominee for Secretary of State that is a Republican who participated in January 6th. Pennsylvania has a gubernatorial nominee endorsed by Trump who participated in the insurrection activities. He did not go inside the Capitol, but he was part of the mob. These are dangerous times. And the one thing that you can never, ever, ever do is check out. I'd like to thank everybody who listened tonight, everybody who joined us. Scott uh, thanked everybody individually, and boy, what an incredible group of commentators, of attorneys, of of people who really know what's going on. And I got to tell you guys, this is just the beginning. There are going to be five more January 6th hearings. 
And nobody knows what is going to happen between now and November 8th. But I can tell you what's going to happen on January 3rd of next year. A new Congress is going to be sat. And if there are insurrectionists controlling that Congress, then we are all in a lot of trouble. You're listening to The Report Card.